0: So, I'm writing a novel. It's the show where you join me, Oliver Brackenbury, on the journey of writing my next novel, from first ideas all the way to publication and promotion. In this one-man reality show, I'll share with you my ever-evolving thoughts and feelings on how I write, being a writer, and everything that entails at each stage of the process. I'll also answer listener questions and, sometimes, interview special guests. If you're the kind of person who likes to learn how things are made and get to know the people making them, then this is the show for you. Though not every author does it, it's fair to say it's pretty traditional for writers to begin their experience with publishing by submitting, instead of a novel to, like, a publisher, submitting short stories to a literary magazine. While certainly not what I would call easy, short stories are a lot less work to write just by sheer volume, right, than a novel. And there are a lot less effort to submit. You just don't write big long query letters for short stories the way you do for novels. The turnaround on finding out whether or not you were rejected is pretty much always much faster than with a novel or a sample of a novel. You don't generally send the whole thing. And so the whole process can be very valuable in your development as a writer and giving you a much quicker sort of run through of creating, critiquing, sending out. Getting rejected, maybe, absorbing feedback, maybe, or getting accepted, hurrah, and building yourself some credibility that may help you sell your novel when you inevitably want to write one of those. Literary magazines are also great for readers because you can sample a whole bunch of different authors and you can enjoy a complete story, likely in one sitting at a time. Even if only with the cover art, although there is a long tradition of rich black-and-white interior illustrations and even the occasional color plate, literary magazines are also a great way of being exposed to a variety of artists, and genre magazines, you know, sci-fi, fantasy, horror, that kind of thing, are notorious for having all kinds of creative crazy stuff in them. If this isn't your first episode of the show, then odds are pretty decent you've heard me mention a couple of these magazines. Tales from the Magician's Skull and Whetstone, the amateur magazine of sword and sorcery, are both wonderful magazines of sword and sorcery fiction. There are many others. I, for example, am a fan of Analog, a hard science fiction magazine with the longest uninterrupted run of any literary magazine ever. And then you have literary magazines in another form. For example, there is a family of podcasts underneath the umbrella of the Escape Artists group. They have Pseudopod for horror, Podcastle for fantasy, Escape Pod for science fiction, you get the idea. And yeah, instead of a traditionally printed and bound magazine, the way they do it is having little podcast readings of the stories. I myself have not submitted as many tales to short story magazines as I would have liked, though I'm working to correct that as much as I can without neglecting the novel, which is itself a huge body of short stories that depending on what I do with publication, I may submit a few stories to magazines. So yeah, anyway, magazines are on my mind, and I would like to learn more about them. Lo and behold, a guest of the show from episode 30, Nathaniel Webb, Surprised me by not too long after he was on here for our story consultation episode, where I edited one of his short stories live for you, the listener, he announced he was founding a literary magazine. It's called Wingraph. And as he describes it on the website, Wingraph is a magazine of cozy fantasy. Wingraph was founded to promote and encourage fantasy stories that focus on little things, friends, family, home, travel. Our authors create worlds that readers get lost in and dream of someday visiting. We believe in the power of escapism. Genre fiction can and should be used to address injustice, give voice to the voiceless, and stir up change. There is also, however, a space for fiction to comfort us and bring us a momentary respite from the challenges of the everyday world. Well, that's the short website pitch, but let's go a little deeper, huh? In fact, why don't we talk to Nathaniel right now? And here I am with Nat. Hey, man. Hey, how's it going, Oliver? Pretty well. I have been looking forward to this conversation because I know that moving forward with the podcast, I want to talk to more people involved with like the publishing businessy side of writing. And I like that I can have someone on that I've already had on before who I wasn't expecting to have you on again, to be honest, anytime soon. But then you <laughs> went to get something really uh, interesting. So that's on you. Um, <laughs> you've uh you've decided bad. to found a literary magazine and i would love to talk about that with you today
1: yeah i did i did it all to get invited back man it's my my bucket list number one is to be friend of a podcast and i think um, you have to be three times right to be friend of the podcast Nathaniel oh, Webb. i don't know i don't know the laws of podcasting but yeah i'm, I'm gonna for you Twitter
0: account like friend of the podcast uh just because i like them <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> friend of oliver that works too That's all
0: it takes. <laughs> Just smile at me and I'll be your friend. There you go. <laughs> Which is funny because I can't, uh, listener, I can't actually see Nat's face. Using yeah, I, don't, I don't have
1: a webcam. I am smiling right now though, I assure you.
0: All right, well, I'll take your word for it. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get into it. Where does the name, I don't I'm going to mispronounce this probably, Wingraf? Yeah, that's that's how I pronounce
1: it. I think probably my Anglo-Saxon professor from college would um, hit me with a ruler if she yeah. heard that. So, sorry, Amy. But yeah, graph is how I'm saying it. It comes from the Clark Hall Concise Anglo-Saxon Dictionary. <laughs> but really, yeah, really where it came from. So, you know, I was, I was thinking, okay, I'm making this magazine of cozy fantasy. Obviously, huge inspiration is Tolkien, particularly The Hobbit, right? And he... Of course was a linguist specifically an old english anglo-saxonist whatever you want to call that Mm. um and he took a lot of anglo-saxon words and i won't get into the whole like tolkien is linguist thing but he took a lot of anglo-saxon words for stuff in um, hobbit language, whatever you want to call it, you know, they're kind of peculiar phrases. So like, uh, what's a good example, mathem, which is like the hobbit, it's almost like a white elephant gift. If you're a hobbit, it's something you don't want, but you don't want to throw it out. And so you're kind of not sure what to do with it. And hobbits, you know, on their on their birthdays, they would have these big parties and give out mathems to all the people who came to the party. So instead of getting birthday presents, they give out these things that like nobody actually really wants. But that comes from an Old English word, which I'm probably mispronouncing, but mathem, basically, which means like a precious thing or a precious gift. Or the, the hobbit word for the hobbit hole, as we call it, is a smile, which comes from an Old English word. Smuggle, something like that, but that means like burrow. So he would pluck out these Anglo-Saxon words and kind of update them in a way to get these really warm, cozy-sounding Hobbit words. And so I wanted to try to do something like that, something in that tradition. And so I kind of, you know, went through my old Anglo-Saxon dictionary from college. And long story short, I came upon this word, "windgraph" or "windgraph," however you want to
0: pronounce it. Yeah,
1: I I seem to recall the "y" is kind of like an "uh" sound. But um, yeah, I just say wind graph and it means wondrous grove, essentially delightful grove, which I thought, you know, it's that's kind of like a cozy, safe place. Right. You know, this nice grove of trees and you can imagine yourself sitting in there reading a book and it's very quiet and peaceful and and safe. And, you know, and I like the idea that a, a grove is something that's more than the sum of its parts. You know, it's a stand of trees, but it also The trees come together and they create this kind of safe space. And I also managed to work in a modern English pun in there, of course, because graph is editor slang for paragraph, G-R-A-F. So it's also like wondrous paragraph. So yeah, (laughs) once I hit on that kind of trio of wordplay, I was like, that's it. That's it. I found it.
0: Okay, that's pretty good. And honestly, even if I didn't know any of that, it is just like a pleasing word to say and also feels yeah. like fantasy-ish, you know, certainly from a Eurocentric perspective. Exactly. Um, were there any others you had in mind? Like a uh, hot cup of cocoa with goblins? Was that a type of
1: <laughs> um, That I should have used that, man. I'm, I'm going to take that for my next magazine. Um, no, I actually, I came within spitting distance of a different old English word, um, homeward. Which um, I really liked because it sounds like homeward, as in heading home. But the actual definition is somebody who keeps guard at sea. So it's ward or ward, like you know, warden or um, a warding spell, something like that. And I really liked that, and and I almost went with it, and then I realized nobody's going to be able to pronounce this, and nobody's going to be able to spell it. I mean, it's the the old English word is H O L M W E A R D, and I just thought. How ungooglable could I possibly make this magazine? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I scrapped that at the last second. And luckily I found I found Win Graph not long after that. And I thought, all right, that's about a hundred times better.
0: Yeah, it's funny the the Googling effect on naming, which I suppose is well documented and has been with us for over 20 years, but still you gotta think about it. You know, when I was naming this podcast, when I came to so I'm writing a novel, I was like, okay, I like that phrase for a bunch of reasons I won't get into because we're interviewing you about your thing. But I did sort of just check when I Googled that. I was like, you know, that's it's the beginning of a phrase. Is this going to be as bad to find as if I named the podcast? Um, is it a tumor or just some other, like, <laughs> you know, something people will you should like, have gone to that? <laughs> like, yeah. Financial it, advice, the podcast, or whatever.
1: It's funny, like, if you Google cozy fantasy, I mean, this is, you know, I won't try to jump ahead too much, but this is mm-hmm. part of why I started this magazine. If you Google cozy fantasy, at least right now, you get a lot of, like, Reddit threads of people asking, like, what is cozy fantasy what are some books i should read if i want fantasy that's cozy and like you know like random like I don't know, Yahoo groups and all this, just there's no website for Cozy Fantasy. And last time I checked, we're still not even on the front page, despite the fact that I actually own CozyFantasy.com, which points to the Wingraph website. That was not even taken. And I just snagged it. And Google doesn't seem to want to respect me. (laughs) But yeah, so again, you know, if I just called it like Cozy Fantasy Magazine, that probably would not be Googleable, at least not right now.
0: Huh. Well, speaking of which, I have yammered about this a little bit in the introduction, but it's best heard from your mouth, I believe. Could you please define for us cozy fantasy? And also, there's sort of like a subterm or maybe adjacent term that you mentioned on the website, backpack fantasy?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, we'll start with cozy. And it's a challenge because it means something different to everybody. You know, and it makes me think there's sort of that, that pithy saying, like, the golden age of science fiction is when you're 12 years old, right? Yeah. You know, and so I, I think... In a lot of ways, cozy fantasy is kind of whatever you have nostalgia for that you grew up reading and makes you feel safe and warm when you go back to it. You know, and for a lot of people, that's Tolkien, and I tend to agree with that. But for a lot of people, it's not. You know, so whatever it means, though, there is definitely a movement afoot. I mean, there's a lot of interest growing on the Internet and in cozy fantasy, and people are just, I think, starting to really say like, hey, this is turning into something that's its own genre with its own not rules, but its own sort of um, tropes and concepts and themes and that sort of thing. And and that's, I think, ultimately what it's about to me is, is the themes of home and community, a focus on interpersonal relationships, personal growth, often a focus on nature. Uh, food is a big one. <laughs> I love writing about food. Um, I also love eating it, but I, I love writing about it.
0: So I'm guessing you've enjoyed a few Redwall novels because... Yes, say, exactly.
1: Yeah, that's yeah, that's such a touchstone. I mean, The Hobbit and Redwall are kind of like the two 10,000-pound gorillas in the room um, when you talk about cozy. You know, and it's it, creating a setting that the reader wants to live in. You know, I mean, as, po- as popular as George R. R. Martin or Robert E. Howard or whatever, you know, nobody wants to live in Westeros. Nobody wants to go back to the Hyborian age and, like, get kidnapped and sold to a Trader caravan or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah, not so much now. Yeah, but you know, you want to live in a hobbit hole, you want to live at Redwall and go to those feasts, right? So that's a big part of it. And then generally, I think just lower stakes, you know, it's not big, epic, world ending quests. Um, It can be as low stakes as just a slice of life, you know, where there's almost no conflict at all. And often, kind of coming along with that there's low or no violence uh, personally I have no I actually love action um, you know and we've talked about sword and sorcery which is well, like yeah the, I mean you and I met through the sword and sorcery scene, it. which I exactly kind of using
0: that you were like I'm founding a literary magazine and I was like oh yeah and you're like cozy as fuck yeah people like very guts. different things but it's just that I'm using like counterpoint to you know yeah, yeah blood and thunder
1: yeah exactly I mean I, I only like the extremes don't give me anything in the middle it should <laughs> either be heads exploding and guts spilling or it should be like Like serving tea to the Duchess uh, and nothing in between. (laughs) Um, You know, but in, in cozy, you know, personally, my definition, and actually some people disagree with this. There's some people who want no violence in their story at all, but to me, you know, it needs to be serving a higher purpose. It shouldn't be the point of the story. Uh, You know, it should be for some reason, you know, and, and you read the Hobbit or you read the Redwall books and there's plenty of action in both of those, Mm -hmm. you know, but it's all in defense of something greater, usually in defense of the home.
0: Oh, cool. Okay. So how about backpack fantasy then? What's the difference? Or is there one?
1: Yeah. So this is, I assumed this was a thing. And the more I look around and try to Google it, I think I may have actually invented this, uh, (laughs) which (laughs) I'm sure now that I've said that on the internet, someone will tell me I'm wrong and I hope they do. But, um, to me, backpack fantasy is cozy stories that are specifically more about traveling or adventuring about getting out on the road, uh, you know, leaving home rather than staying home. Um, so like there's a a tabletop RPG that came from Japan called Ryotama, uh, which Mm -hmm. is all about basically like you go on an adventure on the road. And again, there's some action, you know, you can battle goblins or whatever, but, um, you know, it's, it's about sort of the personal growth that you get from travel. Um, and you know, to me, it's, about the wonder of nature, um, you know, learning lessons out in the wilderness, that kind of thing. Um, you know, and there's an aesthetic to it as well. I think of like, I don't know, the Dragon Quest video games where you know, you're out in the wild, but it's very bright and colorful, appealing. You know? Or like um, Breath of the Wild, the Zelda game. Yep. You know, so a lot of the sort of landscapes where you've opened up a whole new territory, and you get sort of that sweeping panoramic shot, and you think like, man, I wish I could go there in real life. That to me is Backpack.
0: Okay, okay, yeah, kind of like, yeah, giving you some awe and wonder, but not yeah. in the sense of like a Clark Ashton Smith, Suthi, yeah. you know, awe and wonder at giant skeletons marching across sandblasted wastelands. Right, uh,
1: yeah. I mean, if you're playing Elden Ring and you open up a new zone, you go, oh, shit. <laughs> you know, but if you're playing Breath of the Wild and you open up a new zone, you go, oh, man, this is awesome.
0: Yeah, I got gotcha, you. Gotcha. okay. So, um, something you've made me think of while talking about this is something i brought up quite a bit in earlier episodes of the podcast and as a listener, uh, bless you. You may remember. Um, have you ever read Ursula K. Le Guin's *Steering the Craft*?
1: Yes, I read it a couple years
0: ago. Okay, because there's a part on page 123. I've got my copy in front of me. Oh here, my god, your memory where is Where she talks about how like conflict is one kind of behavior and it's all good, but. People sometimes in their very screenwritery uh, way, I find mm-hmm. whether or not they're writing screenplays, it's a very screenwritery thing to just become obsessed with conflict. is like the only driver. Mm-hmm. And she lists, she's like, there, you know, she says, quote, um, conflict is one kind of behavior. There are others equally important in any human life, such as relating, finding, losing, bearing, as in to bear a burden, I suppose, mm-hmm. discovering, parting, and changing. And yeah, I guess I was just wondering if that was something that might have been on your mind uh, with this, because I know, I know I try to keep that list handy mm-hmm. when I'm reviewing a story and just be like, do I have anything else other than people just like butting heads? <laughs>
1: yeah, man, that's fantastic. You know, I, I don't have that as an explicit touchstone. But I think as with so many things in life, Ursula Le Guin is smarter than I am and said it much better than I could. And that's a that's a great example. And I'm going to go into my copy and find that page because i mean that's yeah i couldn't put it better you know there's much more to life than conflict and there's much more to life than having a goal and then something prevents you from getting that goal and that's what drives the scene right
0: when did speaking of those books you mentioned you know yeah people in when they're young when did your love of cozy fantasy develop
1: yeah, well, and that's and that's exactly it, right, is the the golden age of fantasy for me was I was probably five or six years old, and my dad, uh, who was away a lot with work, you know, he'd be gone when I woke up in the morning. A lot of times he would not come home until I was asleep at night, that kind of thing, and go on a lot of business trips. But when he was home and I was awake, he was reading me Redwall, and um, my dad... Was an amateur actor in college and and after um, and so of course he did all the voices uh, his uh, <laughs> his mole accent his Scottish mole accent is I mean Chef's Kiss um, but you know I mean just you know I would curl up with him and he would just read me you know and these are dense books like I've tried to read them to my own kid and he's like Dad this is super boring <laughs> you know maybe we all had better attention spans back in 1990 or whatever but you know I mean he would just read to me for hours um and so i think that's where it started um but i didn't really realize how much i loved cozy fantasy until this was probably in college but i was rereading fellowship of the ring um and you know that begins somewhat famously with the concerning hobbits section where it's like now J.R. tolkien will give you an info dump about his favorite thing that he's invented uh before <laughs> the actual story starts and normally those are absolutely dreadful right i mean we're always told like cut that shit out of your fantasy novel but man like i realized that's my favorite part of that book and I was very sad when it ended and the actual story began. Um, and so I thought, okay, there's there's something going on here. Um, and then just to bring it all around, I really, I started focusing on it about a year ago, a little over a year ago, kind of early 2021. Um, pandemic still raging, you know, nobody was vaccinated yet. Um, and i had actually just come out of a major surgery at the end of 2020, uh, where they took out a big chunk of what was inside me and uh, there were complications I was in the hospital for like two and a half weeks um, apparently there was a day or two or was actually kind of touch and go um, and the book I <laughs> the book I brought to the hospital um, was a Walter John Williams book and he's best known as a sci-fi writer but I think his actually his first novels that were published was um, a series of naval fiction called privateers and gentlemen um, and they're Very dense, super serious, heavy themes with like death and religion and the American Revolution and all this stuff. And I was just like, man, I just almost died. Like, I need to read something that makes me feel better rather than worse. (laughs) Like, they're great books, but oh, my God, it's like, I just picked the wrong thing to bring to the hospital. (laughs) And so it was kind of during that recovery that I was like, you know, people are probably writing like nice books somewhere and I should try to find those.
0: (gasps) okay so that's that's when you started you know connecting with that and then was it shortly yeah. after uh after that experience when you found talk of it online this sort of version yeah scene you described?
1: so I was, st- I was still on reddit then you know and this was as i mentioned before every once in a while people will ask on reddit you know what are some fantasy books with the cozy feel and, and so that's exactly where i went was to those kind of those threads and those recommendations
0: has anybody claimed r slash cozy fantasy yet
1: That's actually a great question. I don't know that I want to take on moderating a (laughs) subreddit, (laughs) um, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe not.
0: I don't know, maybe it might be fun to grab if you can convince yeah. someone else to moderate it although i mean how busy <laughs> would it be to start i don't know um, yeah
1: probably if there are zero people it wouldn't take much to moderate it but
0: <laughs> oh, you never know that could be kind of fun because if you could claim that sort of for your magazine and yourself like that'd be pretty cool yeah but yeah anyway uh well okay and to bring over to the magazine side of things yeah i'm wondering you know sometimes people rightly complain i think that literary magazines, particularly the smaller ones, in fact, basically the smaller ones, but still, uh, they get a lot of submissions from authors, probably more submissions than readers sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. the authors are primarily, st- they just submit. They have no relationship to the magazine. They haven't read it, or maybe they read one issue to get an idea for it. Yep. So I'm going to sound all gatekeepery when I ask you, uh, the editor of a new magazine, what literary magazines do you read regularly? Turner. Yeah.
1: So um, right now I regularly read Tales from the Magician's Skull and Whetstone for my Sword and Sorcery fix. Mm-hmm. And there is actually a new markets Canadian, actually. So well done, you, uh, called Tales and Feathers. And they just did a Kickstarter and they are also a cozy fantasy market. But they're doing, I think it's purely digital. Uh, and then maybe they'll do a collection at the end of the year. Um, but they're doing basically like one story a month because they wanted to pay pro rates, which we'll get into the numbers later, I'm sure. Yes, um somebody. But uh, I'm really, really excited for that one to start publishing because I think it's going to be awesome. Um, and and honestly, like I'm looking for more magazines to support, you know, because I, I only recently have really gotten into short stories, um, sort of starting with the sword and sorcery stuff, and then realizing like, oh, actually, I really like reading short stories. This is great. Um, but you know, the the big name magazines, um, the ones that actually still get sold on bookstore shelves um you know they're much more in the sort of literary sci-fi literary fantasy vein um which you know i think there's a lot of great stuff being written but that's not really my thing you know i like pulps i like high fantasy i like space opera you know i want my genre to be like genre stories um
0: yeah not so much like analogs hard sci-fi which right, is lovely, exactly. It doesn't sound exactly exactly what you're looking for yeah
1: yeah i don't know honestly like i'm i'm open to suggestions because i want to start buying more magazines you know to support them and just to find more stuff that i like because you know there there are so many amazing writers out there and it's true i mean you know the joke is uh what do they say like most fiction magazines the only people who read them are writers who want to get published in that magazine right you know i got to put my money where my mouth is and start trying to change that
0: mm-hmm. yeah and i mean also you have added motivation to find more talent right so yes absolutely out to yeah absolutely do you remember your first ever literary mag submission to sort of turn the table on here? Oh, God. <laughs> yes. This is,
1: this is an embarrassing story purely because of my emotional response to it. And so the, the first story I ever submitted was to actually into an anthology because I did not understand the difference, I guess, between an anthology and a magazine. But a place called Pulp Mill Press, um, an editor named Sean Robeson um, was putting together an anthology and they were looking for, you know, fantasy stories, basically. Um, I sent in actually sort of a proto sword and sorcery story. I, I had just read Norville Page is sons of the bear god which is actually a terrific sort of lost gem of sword and sorcery but i was very inspired by that wrote a story sent it in got rejected but sean the editor was actually i mean extremely kind and thoughtful he wrote me a very long email rejection basically saying you know we're not going to take it but you've got some promise and here's a long list of things that I think could be improved in this story, you know, if you mm-hmm. wanted to rewrite it and and make it something that could be saleable someday. And so I got that email and I thought, Oh my God, this guy is listing every single way I failed because <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. you know, this is my first submission ever. And so I didn't understand what, you know, what a mitzvah that is that he took so much time to give me this really detailed and generous advice, you know, and now of course I would, I would kill to get that kind of feedback from every editor that rejects yeah, me. Yeah, you know, now you're
0: like, Oh, one sentence, uh, not for us. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, but so I, I mean, man, I just totally did not appreciate what he did for me. Um, but, you know, so so that was a, a weird and wonderful kind of first rejection, um, and I've racked up many more since then, but that one will always stay with me.
0: Okay, and like adjacent to that, do you remember the first literary mag you read? I think mine would have been probably old analogs from the late 70s and early 80s that are from mine, oh, nice. like to dig out of his dad's shelf.
1: Nice, yeah. I mean, gosh, aside from like highlights for children, probably... Dragon Magazine, the the old D anD D magazine, the official one. They yeah. used to publish a lot of short fiction, and you know a lot of stuff from like um, Gardner Fox, and I think maybe even Fritz Leiber had a story or two published in Dragon. Uh, oh yeah, well, at, I, actually, not
0: just Fritz Leiber, but um, oh no, I'm going to lose my nerd cred here. Uh, gatekeepers, you know. keep away from me. <laughs> the the guy he co-created Pathfinder um, Great Master with.
1: Uh, Harry Otto Fisher.
0: Thank you, Harry Otto yep. Fisher. Got a story there in the late seventies where he finished uh, his original idea for kind of an origin story for Mouser that oh, was very different from the published one, and nice. sort I of threaded into the grand narrative. But yeah,
1: yeah, there you go. So that that was probably it because I I grew up playing tons of D and D and read Dragon magazine religiously. So that was probably it. You know, I think I read like the magazine of science fiction and fantasy, or magazine of fantasy and science fiction, yeah, uh, for a while South, in college. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I, again, you know, I really only seriously got into short stories recently, kind of rediscovering Sword and Sorcery and then realizing, like, oh, wait, this is actually an excellent format for telling stories,
0: mm-hmm, that...
1: which everybody in the world has known for hundreds of years except me, obviously. But, wow. You know, I
0: mean, I think we all kind of have to rediscover it because they're not pushed very much outside of English class. Which yeah, like, no.
1: That, yeah, that's have, really like, true. Or that uncle or yeah, you think of like you get your big anthology of the stories you must read in high school English, and then, like, that's all short stories are for most people which is a shame because there's so many different subgenres that are all really well represented
0: yeah meanwhile is this your first crack at launching a literary magazine or are there some like flaming wrecks in the backyard you don't like to talk about
1: no the only flaming wreck is in my future
0: <laughs> Oh
1: no yeah <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, uh, yes this this is my first one i have no idea what i'm doing but really what it came out of was last year i self-published a novel for the first time. Um, you know, I've got a handful of novels out, most of them with small presses. Um, but I wrote this one that actually it's a, a cozy mystery, um, not fantastical, although it's set at a science fiction convention. But, you know, I shopped it around What's a it little called? bit to. Oh, it's called A Conventional Murder. And where can you find um, it? It's on Amazon. If you search for A Conventional Murder, Nathaniel Webb, okay. it will come up, I promise. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, and I wrote it. And honestly, I thought it was great. But, um, you know, I didn't get any bites from agents or, or presses or anything. And so I thought, well, I'll just put it out into the world, you know. Um, and what I discovered was I actually really loved all the technical aspects of self publishing, like uh, commissioning art, doing the cover, doing the interior layout, getting the files ready for ebook and printing and all that stuff. Um, I actually really enjoyed doing it. And then of course, at the end, you know, you, you hold that thing in your hands, and you're like, I made this. It's very satisfying. And so after that, you know, I thought, like, gosh, I really want to self publish more stuff, because I really enjoy doing that. And I didn't have another novel to stick out there. And so I thought, well, I've got all these kind of skills that I built up now, I can use them to help other people, you know, and I'm not going to like, tell somebody to send me their novel, and I'm going to publish it, you know, I don't, I don't have that kind of power in the world. But I thought, you know, gosh, I could just get a magazine together, you know, I can pay writers, support other people that way. And, you know, kind of try to lift up a genre that I really love.
0: Okay, so how long was the process from like first ideas, you know, thinking this up through to the imminent release of issue number one What were like the different stages of the process?
1: You know, obviously I had been pondering it for a long time, but when I decided to pull the trigger was probably like mid January of this year and our first issue comes out May 1st. So it was way faster than I expected, honestly, Mm -hmm. you know, and partially that's just my personality. Like when I decide to do something, I'm just going to do it. You know, I see no reason to wait around. But yeah, I mean, I started in January. I built the website, put together the submission guidelines to try to start defining what exactly I was looking for. Because again, you know, Cozy Fantasy, it hasn't been pinned down yet and it means something different to everybody. And so I wanted to really sort of stake that flag of like, here's what I mean by it. So I spent some time getting that description together. From there, I think the next thing I did was really just trying to get the word out. Once I had the website and the submission page, getting the word out about submissions, you know, I said, okay, I'm going to open submissions on march 1st so you know people have time to put stories together and stuff like i was ready to start reading but you know oh. i figured to give people time if they're going to write something if they want to you know edit something that they've already got whatever
0: well and especially as someone who has been on the writer side many times at this point i believe right you know it's yeah. that kind of thing of like how much you as the editor are like i want to read stories now but you want to give people a chance to create a new work it's you know especially right, it, it's exactly. a young genre right
1: exactly exactly yeah so I had to I had to kind of slow myself down you know and say like okay I can't just start accepting stuff now because that's not fair to the writers but yeah I started getting the word out I, I you know I got on places like Rallon.com I may be pronouncing that wrong but I don't know if you know it's a market listing site duotrope submission grinder all those places um, there's a Facebook group called open call that I had used in the past as an author so I posted there and then yeah May uh, March 1st rolled around Started taking submissions. I <laughs> meant to only have submissions for a week, but then I forgot to uh, change the submissions page to say closed on March 8th. <laughs> so stuff kept coming in, and I was like, man, these people are not paying attention to the instructions. And then I went and looked at the instructions. So every, everything that came in late, I just emailed everybody. I said, you know, like I screwed up and I'm going to hold this for issue two. You know, I'm not even going to look at it now. Do what you want with it until then. But if it's still out there, I'll, I'll read it, you know, when we're doing issue two. But yeah, so, I mean, we got, I think it was 73 was the final number of submissions considered for issue one came in that week. I gave myself until the end of May to read them all and respond, um, or mid-May. And honestly, like, they started coming in, and I just wanted to read them all. And so I just read stories as they came in, you know, because I was just having a blast doing it, and there was so much great stuff coming in. And so, you know, I had final decisions made and and everybody emailed probably a week or two after the submission window closed, uh, you know, because the stuff was coming in. I was going, okay, this isn't going to work, uh, or you know, I really like this, but if something else with a similar theme comes along, maybe I you know I can't take this right now because I don't want two stories that are too similar, that kind of stuff. But, you know, by the time the submission window closed, I basically read everything. And so it was just a matter of making those final decisions and and sending all the emails. Meanwhile, I did the cover commission um, with my amazing artist, and she actually worked super fast. So I had that. I think that was in probably by the time the submissions window was closed. I had the final version of the cover art. And... I was working on my own story. Uh, I decided, honestly, <laughs> partially, it's just a money-saving measure. I included one of my own stories in the first issue because that's like six, seven thousand words that I don't have to pay for. Uh, <laughs> but you're you're still getting a full magazine out of it, so yeah. saved saved a couple bucks there.
0: Well, you're not being cheeky like Lynn Carter, who I think occasionally would put two of his stories in an anthology, and you're like, oh, right, man. yeah.
1: And then he would, yeah he would put one of them under a pseudonym. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to do that. And I, I considered putting it under a pseudonym, and I thought, no, if if I'm going to do this. I'll take responsibility for my actions. So it's it's there well, under my name.
0: Actually, if I can interrupt you for a second, because that kind of yep. leads into something I've thought of while you were talking. You know, when you mentioned specific numbers of submissions and stuff like that, one thing I really respected and certainly is spiritually akin to, I hope, my, my approach to this podcast and me and my novel project, you're very transparent. You know, you've been posting blog posts um, on wingraft.com or CozyFantasy.com, if you want to do oh, that, yeah. uh, <laughs> um, really breaking down like the numbers and the reasons for rejections and the acceptances. And like, mm-hmm. I think there were two uh, ones you sent back with notes being like, okay, we can adjust this. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, What was? did you ever see yourself doing it any other way, or did you just from the get-go be like, I'm going to really show people behind the curtains, like no curtains, pretty much.
1: Yeah, no, I I always intended to have total transparency and I was definitely inspired by this podcast um, as well as, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, um, You know, and there are other publishers and stuff who have done similar things of like, you know, or if you do a Kickstarter, right. And they say, here's where every penny of the Kickstarter money went, you know, and I I love when places do that. You know, I think it's very honest. I think it's very real. I think it's valuable Mm -hmm. for other people who either are interested in starting a magazine or just for the authors to understand, you know, here's what we're working with. And, you know, and I just always find those kinds of posts fascinating. So yeah, I I always intended to just have total transparency. And now that we've got the issue nailed down, you know, I think we'll probably talk about numbers later, but Mm -hmm. now that we've got the issue nailed down, I'm going to write up posts just saying, you know, here's the entire budget for the issue. Here's where all the money went. You know, here's how much I did myself so I didn't have to pay anybody. And what that rolls into is, here's how many copies of the magazine, theoretically, we have to sell to actually get all
0: that money back. Cool. And, I, and so, yeah, I think, I think that's a really cool thing to do because... A, I think it can cut down on the irritated messages you might get from writers <laughs> who didn't get in. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, some people
0: will be difficult Hopefully. no matter what you do, right? But I think it would cut it down. I think some people are reasonable and be like, oh, okay, well, I mean, they did get all those messages. Oh, and there's feedback on why and stuff, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, so I think that's cool. And it's also nice because I think you can help take sort of advice you've been given in your writing career and kind of pay it forward in the sense that anybody else who down the road is like, I want to do a literary mag, you know, maybe they'll... Take something of value from what you put up and you'll save them grief. And isn't that nice?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And man, I mean, I learned so much about writing just from going through the slush pile for this issue, you know, because if I'm going to reject something, I have to know why, you know, I have to be able to justify to myself and to the person that I'm rejecting. Why? Why is this not working? You know, and I, I really tried. I, th- I think I missed a couple of folks, and if I did, I'm sorry, but I really tried to give everybody some kind of personalized explanation for why their story was rejected. You know, whether it was, you know, just prose mechanic stuff or, you know like you know if you're going to send me like here's a horror story set in modern day America like I don't know why you'd send me that but I'm not going to accept it
0: <laughs> I, I can't believe but, there's a small percentage of that in any magazine you do you know I remember yeah. seeing Howard Andrew Jones talking about the Skulls submissions uh, which they opened up last year and they got like I don't know a Garfield fanfic or something <laughs> like it's
1: just like <laughs> you know
0: <what> I, mean? <laughs> I, would, I,
1: would, I would buy a Garfield fanfic I will, no, I, well, good, I I've will. I already written that it hell. but uh, <laughs>
0: But you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if it was literally that, but it was something that off the wall. That just like you just saw that there was a magazine and an email address, and that's all they needed. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Some people just clearly did not read the submission guidelines. But, you know, but those are the easy rejections to write. Mm-hmm. Right. Partially because I know why it's not making it in. Partially because, you know, somebody didn't <laughs> have the respect for my time to read the submission. thing. thing. <laughs> like yeah, exactly. Modding, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, no, but there, there were some that it was very hard to pin down like you know, this, this hits all the marks of, you know, theme and setting that we're looking for. And there's nothing specifically that I can say like, okay, you know, they have this issue with their prose, or, you know, this thing is wrong in the characterization or whatever. There are some things that it just didn't work. And those I really had to spend time sitting with and trying to pick apart, like, why is this not working for me? And man, yeah, I just learned so much.
0: I bet it, because yeah, when you have that feeling of just like, it's just a vibe, like you can't, you can say that to yourself when you're working on your own stuff, but it's yeah i mean you can't say to other people i've gotten a rejection like that they don't really say <laughs> yeah. a vibe, but you know i'm just not feeling it is, is feedback i've gotten once or twice <laughs> yeah. which is very frustrating because it'll be like i liked seven things and i just wasn't feeling it and then i'm like i don't know what to do with that
1: yeah exactly you can't only say good things and then reject it yeah yeah
0: it's very odd um and, and yeah and have the rejection be predicated on i'm gonna say just a feeling so like i applaud you for making that effort because as we both know not everybody does and, yes. you know, maybe if issue two gets like 700 submissions or something crazy, like you. Yeah, won't be able then I'll have to rethink. do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this was possible because, you know, I got about 10 stories a day, you know, and so I was able to read them all and think about them all over a few weeks. But, yeah, if it explodes, I'm, I'm not going to be able to keep doing that, unfortunately.
0: OK, I really do want to get to my next question, which is about the financial side. But I want to unpack things that you've already said. So, for example, the cover art. First of all, yeah. What was the name of the artist? And could, does she, I assume she has an Instagram.
1: Yes. Um, so I'm going to spell it because I, I will probably horribly mispronounce it. Her Instagram is uh, now I don't want to misspell it.
0: Uh, you know what? Just just say it as best you can, and I will link it to listener in the show notes and all the blog yeah. and all that stuff.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Oliver. Yeah, it's it's Samiligia, S A M I L I G I A. Her name is Samara Ligia. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong, and I'm very sorry. Um, but I mean, yeah, I found her when I was working on um, my old Humble Foot mysteries, which are the cozy fantasy mysteries I post on kindle vella um and she did my kindle vella icon which was absolutely fantastic um really really enjoyed working with her and so yeah when i when i went for the cover art for issue one i mean i knew i was like all right i'm i'm going with her um and she knocked it out of the park i mean we did the cover reveal yesterday i think and we've gotten so much good feedback people love this art i mean it's really fantastic
0: oh awesome and listener if you're like i want to see that well aside from WinGraph.com, if you want to go to our website uh it'll be in the blog post. But yeah. Um, Okay, cool. And did you, like, were you able to just sort of give her a a brief description? Or did you like a rough sketch and be like, draw this, but with talent? Or like, how how did that go?
1: (laughs) No, I think if I gave a sketch to any artist, they would probably just immediately quit the project
0: and (laughs) never speak to me again. Did you like, did you bodge some together out of like photo references or?
1: I, yeah, I gave I gave a couple of reference photos just for vibe. Um, but this one, honestly, I mean, I, I really just said, like, I only had sort of the vaguest concept of um, what I wanted it to be. You know, I gave her, you know, it's a young woman in a white and purple uniform. She looks sort of like a ranger, you know, D&D ranger, but less violence focused. You know, she's a, a messenger uh, fantasy Mail carrier, essentially.
0: Oh, was this the character from your story?
1: Yeah, so so I gave I gave myself the first cover story, and this was purely just uh, egotistical thing. <laughs> going forward, I'm going to do covers based on one of the other stories in the in the issue. But this was, you know, I jokingly say it was an egotistical thing. It was really because I needed to have it together in time to put the whole magazine together, and not knowing what other stories were going to come across the transom. But yeah, I mean, I I really gave her a very vague description, and and she just came up with something and just nailed it the first time. I was very lucky.
0: Lucky. oh well it means someone who's privileged to read an earlier draft of your story i'm going to go back and look at that cover again after the interview because i yeah you'll uh, see i really liked it but now i can assign it to that character that'll be kind of neat to revisit it yeah
1: it's the part so, with the rain
0: enough about creativity god damn it Tell us about the uh, cold hard cash, the financial yeah. side. You know, were there any grants involved? He said the Canadian. Uh, or,
1: <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know the day that we do that in this country. <laughs> yeah, I just realized
0: as I said it out loud, I was like, oh yeah, right, America. Mm. Uh, but
1: <laughs> Ulysses S. Grant on the hundred dollar bill. Whoa, nice. I don't even um, know if that's right. And I don't also, think that's right. I would like
0: to ask, and I do not mean this remotely confrontationally, though, I'm, as I'm reading out my little word file I've got open here, it might come across as such. Okay. Why not start off as an unpaid market? and then offer payment once the magazine has gathered enough readership to pay for it you know you started by paying people right off the bat and i remember seeing um it was twitter or maybe the West End discord some goddamn you know online kiddie pool that we both swim in where i saw you talking about how you were actually wishing to pay a little less and then some people saw that and kind of griped and you were like well okay i'll see what i can do here and and you raised the pay which i thought was very um kind and bold of you
1: yeah uh I didn't know I was allowed to start as an unpaid market. <laughs> I didn't realize that was an option. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> um, no, there are no, there are no grants or anything. This is all completely out of my pocket. You know, and I should be clear up front: like, I'm not really trying to make a killing off of this. You know, my plan is if if any issue turns a profit, that money is going to go back around and go back into the magazine. But this is not like my uh, retirement plan or anything. But yeah, I mean, from the get go, you know, I never, I never really thought. Well, I'll just pay people nothing. You know, even something like Whetstone or Witch House, which are openly the amateur magazine of Sword and Sorcery, uh, you know, and it's, it's an easy and it's given away for free. I mean, they still at least pay $10. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I thought if I'm going to charge money for this, I, I should be paying everybody who's involved. And yeah, and you're right. So originally the budget was to pay half a cent per word. I posted that on a Facebook group called Open Call, which is for. Submissions windows for genre fiction, and just boy, I got a lot of heat for that. And in retrospect, rightly so, you know. And this is lessons learned by me having no idea what I'm doing. In my mind, it's like, well, I'm doing the best I can, and half a cent a word, it's not good, but it's not nothing, you know. And man, I mean, people just raked me across the coals for that. And so I doubled the budget up to one cent per word, which is nowhere near a professional rate, you know. I mean, nobody's going to make a living selling fiction at a penny per word. They haven't probably since Charles Dickens.
0: So I guess sorry, I'm just doing some math in my head. I guess half cent a word. Let's say a five thousand word story. That'd be what $20? fifty dollars. Fifty dollars. Yeah.
1: Oh, sorry, half cent a word. Yeah, it would be twenty five. Yeah. Yeah, and in a penny a word, it's fifty. Yeah. And so you know, let me pull up the spreadsheet here. the The total budget ultimately for for this issue six hundred and eighty two dollars and fourteen cents. Two hundred fifty dollars for the cover art and then 432.14 for all the stories. And that again, so the, the final word count is pretty much bang on 50K, but one of those stories is mine, and so I didn't pay myself for that. So 443,214 words that I paid for, and then a few more that I gave myself for free. You know, and it was originally going to be less <laughs> but it was too low it was too low and then everything else i just did myself so all the layout the website i mean I, i'm lucky to be a web developer professionally so doing the website was no problem
0: hmm. yeah the website's pretty tight did you do that wordpress or it, did you...
1: yeah it's, it's wordpress yeah um it's very easy to get something pretty slick looking on wordpress which is really nice
0: uh yeah we're not sponsored not WordPress, sponsored i will say i know yeah, they <laughs> and, should be uh, yeah no, it's, it's i gotta say it's a lot better than i remember the the first time i tried wordpress like i don't know 15 years ago um, yes
1: it's yeah. improved a lot and that's all i have to say about that well hang on no i do i do i do have more thoughts i do have more thoughts hang on <laughs> no
0: that's fair that's fair i mean that's literally like all the the dollars and cents and so like how many issues do you want to put out a year what's your goal there
1: Oh my God. I mean, you know, originally I was like, I'm going to do quarterly and I'm just always going to be working on this. And then I realized that was crazy. (laughs) So the goal right now is to do two issues a year, you know, because when I'm working on it, I want to go whole hog guns blazing, put everything I've got into it, but then I'd need to recharge, you know, then I need to do other things for a while, work on other genres, work on my own writing, all that kind of stuff. Mm hmm but i know you know come like end of summer probably i'm gonna start getting antsy again and want to make another one and so that's that's the plan right now is probably late summer do another submission window um i'm gonna have a little time between semesters of school actually so i'll probably do it then so i'll have a lot of time to read
0: you're an animal man you're working you're going to school you have a kid and you yeah, have a six-year-old <laughs> you're you're writing stuff that isn't this uh and also yeah. you're doing this so i think tuition issues year is pretty good <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: like, I uh I'm only happy if I have something to do so
0: oh no I, I same and I admire you for um learning a lesson like before you started in terms of how much you felt you could handle like when I started this podcast I knew off the bat I was gonna try and do more than I probably would be sustainable in the long run because yes. that's just who I am and I think a lot of people when they start projects because that's you know you're so excited you want to do 50,000 updates a week well you know whatever and uh absolutely by the end of the you know last year I was like okay cool it hotshot two updates a month <laughs> yeah um, yeah. And so the fact that you didn't have to go through that experience, you just you were able to be like, yeah, okay, no, I think two is good.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, it is, I I'm loving it, but it's a huge amount of work.
0: It's nice though. I mean, do you see yourself like longer term building? Like, I don't know, like, do you, I, I, maybe you haven't thought about any of this and nor do you have to, but maybe you have, do you see yourself setting a goal of like, if I can do 20 issues, uh, that's great. Or if I can do five, anything past that is gravy. Like...
1: Oh, gosh, that's an interesting question. Or do enough Uh, issues
0: for, like, a collection that makes sense to me. Yeah,
1: I I definitely, definitely down the line want to have enough stuff published that then we can put together collections. You know, for which I would pay the authors a second time, just to be clear. (laughs) It's in their contracts. I'm only buying one type of rights right now. But yeah, I mean, you know, we've already, like, we've gotten so many great dragon stories. I really wanted to do, like, the Wingraph dragon book and just put the best dragon stories in it. You know, that kind of thing. Um, Definitely, definitely is a goal of mine. As far as number of issues, I don't know. Until I get sick of it until i die i don't, <laughs> I don't know we'll we we'll really have to see we'll really yeah. have to see
0: <laughs> like it's way too early in a way for me to be asking that yeah. on the other hand i have known so many people including myself at times who set pretty ambitious goals like they're uh, just like i'm gonna go for this you know i did a web series years ago and i at times regret the fact that i kept this commitment because i wonder what else i could have done with all that time and energy but whatever i did a web series where i committed to doing 100 episodes and it took me five years with some big gaps because of other life stuff getting in the way But I insisted on myself to finish it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's important to finish things. You know, the the art of actually finishing a project, it's a skill that you have to develop like any other, you know, finishing a novel, finishing a story. Mm -hmm. You know, we were talking before we started actually recording about a sword and sorcery story that I'm working on that. I mean, man. It was really hard to finish. Well, it's the one that you did the did the story analysis of. Uh, yeah, yeah, I feel like first Stan episode. Lee should
0: pop up here and be like, "Hey, faithful listener, if you want to check that yeah, out, go back, back to issue, episode uh, thirty-two. <laughs> I think it was whatever story consultation with Nathaniel Webb. <laughs> look for that one. Yeah,
1: and, and I mean, we recorded that episode what, in December, and I only just finished the story a couple nights ago because it was just for some reason the story was giving me a really hard time. But I wanted to, I wanted to finish it, you know, and and practicing. Completing things is really important. Yeah,
0: it is. It is. I, I guess I sometimes think back to that project with a little bit of regret just because um, I liked it, but it ultimately didn't get a big audience or push my life forward in any big ways. And I yeah. think sometimes about like, what if I had had the balls to go, you know what? This isn't working. I'm going to cut out episode 40 or whatever instead of going all the way to 100. And then not a lot of time and energy could have maybe gone down a better avenue. So I think, that, I think that's a skill as well. But you're not wrong the finishing yeah. thing. That's also very important.
1: Yeah, know, knowing when to fold is also a skill, and unfortunately, those two skills conflict with each other.
0: Yep. Yeah. Oh, well, oh, well. So, um, you've already actually covered, I think, yeah, we already covered uh, how did you find navigating your first slush pile, which is my next question. So, would you perhaps mind giving listeners who have been seduced by your siren call of cozy fantasy mm. some reading recommendations beyond the uh, good old Lord of the Rings and Redwall?
1: Yeah, And yeah, WinGraph Magazine, which I hear is pretty good. Yes. Don't forget, Wingraph, CozyFantasy.com. Um, <laughs> you know, so here's, here's something interesting is that cozy fantasy or a slice of life fantasy actually has been around for a while in a lot of other forms of media. I mean, there's like slice of life anime. You know, and Studio Ghibli, a lot of those movies like Kiki's Delivery Service. Right. You know, if I got that as a story, I mean, I'd publish the hell out of that. Right. It's like a witch and a cat and she delivers packages. I love it. You know, but but in prose, it's harder to pin down. But I would say off the top of my head, Diana Wynne Jones, who wrote Howl's Moving Castle, actually speaking of Studio Ghibli. So she wrote the novel Howl's Moving Castle. which is a great one, and then she also wrote a duology, um, a book called Dark Lord of Durkholm, which is basically like humorous, cozy, high fantasy, um, and then a sequel to that called Year of the Griffin. Um, so those i would definitely recommend the big one right now is a book called legends and lattes by travis baldry i don't know if you've heard about this on twitter that's familiar yeah so so this guy travis is a fascinating dude he was a video game designer he he was like designed the game torchlight if you ever played that Mm. um and then he quit that he became an audiobook narrator he he was the narrator for the cradle series by will white which is not really my thing. It's like progression fantasy, um, but absolutely huge. I mean, you know, he sold a billion of these books. So he's a narrator for that. And then last year during NaNoWriMo, he just banged out this book and self-published it. And it, and it just has gone completely nuts. It's called Legends and Lattes. um, And it's about an orc who retires from adventuring and opens a coffee shop.
0: (laughs) Which sounds wonderful, but also sounds exactly like what someone who wanted to make fun of cozy fantasy would come up with. Right,
1: exactly. Yeah. You know, I mean, my God, we could do a whole podcast about this, but cozy fantasy, fantasy is completely lacking in irony it's very sincere and that's something that i find very very refreshing about it mm-hmm. um is it's you know there's no self-mockery in it at all um no i want
0: distance right which exactly me care about what's going on
1: exactly i mean it, it's yeah it's all about sincerely caring about these characters um yeah and honestly i mean this book is like you know some people would hear that description and be like this sounds like the most boring thing ever but it's It's this little slice of life thing. It's short. It's like 62,000 words or something. So it's a quick read. But man, I mean, I couldn't put it down.
0: You know what? When you're telling me about that, it really makes me think of a lot of stuff I've heard about and seen on Tumblr and so on. Um, Coffee Shop AU, like fanfic stuff. Would you say there's any overlap between?
1: Oh, gosh. If I had any idea what that was, I could answer this question very intelligently.
0: Oh, fair enough. Well, in a a nutshell. I'm no
1: expert,
0: expert, (laughs) but it's essentially like. Uh, coffee shop AU is like an uh, alternate universe, and it's just like a very popular thing where people be like, you know, I really like Tony Stark and the Avengers when they're saving the world from Jim Jam, whatever. Um, you know, the famous Avengers called Jim Jam. Jim uh, Jim Jim <laughs> he's terrifying. <laughs> um, anyway, the, but, but, but I would like to see them just like hanging out and talking about their lives in oh, a coffee shop.
1: Yeah, I I would guess that there's probably a lot of overlap there. Um,
0: Perhaps in audiences, if not necessarily, yeah. Um, storytelling, because I mean, obviously, not everything is legends and lattes, which uh, you know.
1: But here's the thing. I mean, this is what this is telling us that there is a huge audience for this, like legends and lattes. I mean, the dude, you know, he's hit a bunch of bestseller lists on Amazon. It got picked up by Tor. He just announced okay. like they're going to re-release it. You know, he's he's got a, an editor with them and everything. And like, you know, this is he banged this out in November last year, bought some art and self-pubbed it. And, you know, and people are going nuts for it. And to be fair, it's a great book. I mean, he deserves every ounce of the success. I, I truly mean that. Like, I, I absolutely ate this book up. Mm-hmm. But there is an audience for this cozy fantasy stuff. This, these crazy kids with their cozy fantasy. Well, there you but go. people want it.
0: Yeah. And as far as him am just banging it out or whatever, like, I think of web comics, uh, just because that's a world I'm a little more familiar with in some ways, where a lot of artists will say, you know, it's funny. The stuff I put a lot of time and energy into trying to make the perfect thing. Did okay, maybe, or flopped even. And the thing I just like banged out over a weekend did huge numbies. And so <laughs> I think there's some. Did they call them numbies? For, pardon me? Do they call them numbies? No, that's me having a brain worm because I really <laughs> listen to uh, a, a podcast where they say that a lot called uh, Anime Sickos, where they barely talk about anime. It's just sort of about the world. It's quite funny. But anyway, <laughs> they'll talk about like, got to make the numbies go up when they're talking about downloads ah, or likes on a tweet or something. Nice. And now it's just like in my lexicon. But <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it's this kind of thing where if someone can just kind of relax and not over outline and over try to perfect something, then yeah. that sometimes will make you create the thing that. You know, makes the numbies go up.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, and when I say, oh, he banged it out in NaNoWriMo, I don't mean that dismissively at all. You oh, know, I could because... tell you didn't,
0: but I thought it'd be good to... yeah absolutely
1: absolutely no but there's there's a lot of truth in that that when you find the story that's right for you to tell not always sometimes it's you know painful and takes six months to write an eight thousand word sword and sorcery tale (laughs) but you know sometimes yeah you just hit that and you're like oh right this is what i should be writing and then it just it just comes out you know and then it resonates with people
0: Mm -hmm. all right so we're getting on the end here i know you've said this before but i feel like you can never say it enough When does issue 1 come out, and where should people go to buy it uh, to follow the magazine online and all that good stuff?
1: Yeah. So issue one comes out May 1st. And the best place you can go is wingraph.com. W-Y-N-G-R-A-F.com. Pre-orders as of today, digital pre-orders for the ebook edition are open. So you can go right now. I don't know when this
0: podcast is Yeah, today is, is, is April 7th, by the way, to give people... A... <laughs> yeah, sorry. No, that's okay. Today is April 7th, by the way, just to give people a framework for uh, you finishing uh, that story. But also, I don't know currently as of recording exactly when this is going up, but it will... I think early May is my goal. Somewhere for the first two weeks oh perfect so definitely the magazine by this point will be out you can buy it
1: Yes, absolutely. Okay, so in in that case, you can either go to the website or if you just go straight to Amazon, it'll be up there. It will be, there's an ebook and there's also a physical print edition, um, which is absolutely beautiful. And it's only on Amazon right now. That was a decision I made partially just to save my sanity from trying to deal with other distributors, other print on demand services, that kind of thing. And it's also just a margins thing. You know, I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. it's the horrible truth that Amazon, if you promise that your thing will only be on Amazon, they'll let you have more of your money so I, I did make that deal with, <laughs> with old Jeff Bezos. That may change in the future. The plan right now and what I've told my authors is it's going to be Amazon exclusive for 90 days because that's, you know, they do by quarters to be in like the Kindle Select program and all that stuff. And so it should be on Kindle Unlimited as well. If you're a subscriber to that, you'll be able to read it for free. But 90 days on that. And then my plan is then to remove it from Kindle Select program, which means my margins will go way down. But at that point, then the authors will be able to sell reprint rights if they want to. They can share their story. They can do whatever they want with it. Their, their contract with me, essentially, will be over at that point. And so then maybe we'll look into selling PDFs direct or something. I don't know. I, I've got ideas, but nothing solid yet.
0: Yeah, no worries. I mean, as we're talking, there were still several weeks out from the magazine actually being released. You've got time to think. Exactly, to
1: exactly. God only knows what's going to happen from now until then. But yeah, so right now, either go to wingraph.com or you can just go straight to Amazon, search for Wingraph, and it should come up and you can buy it.
0: And uh, if you were like, oh, they spoke too fast and I don't feel like rewinding because I hate rewinding. Uh, I will link all of that stuff <laughs> again in the show notes <laughs> Thank and you. the blog
1: post. I yeah, I up. talk fast. Oh, and the other the other thing that I got to say, though, is if you don't want to spend money, every Friday we're posting free Flash Fiction. And that's free for you. It's not free for me. I'm paying all the writers at the same same one cent per word rate as I do for the magazine. But every Friday, one or two stories go up Flash, Flash Fiction Friday. It's totally catchy and easy to say, and I didn't just screw it up. Um, and and I love this also because it gives me the ability to give a lot of different authors a chance. You know, I'm paying at the same rate as the magazine, but it's you know stuff that's shorter, stuff that you know maybe if it were an eight thousand word story, I wouldn't want to spend the time editing it. But it's a thousand words, you know, so I can edit this and try to polish it, work with the writer to get it polished, you know. And we just put a ton of stuff out there that. Just maybe wouldn't get picked up elsewhere and, you know, just give a lot of people a chance and kind of just see what people like.
0: And also, from an editorial standpoint, it might get you some authors who are kind of busy or don't want to go whole hog on a short story. But they're like, you know, I could do a thousand words. I got time for that. Kind yeah, of thing. absolutely. So, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, that may end up being me. We'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, have I hope to so, say, man. My immediate reaction was, oh, I could do that. <laughs> when you Exactly.
1: It yeah, you can write a thousand words. You know, and and it doesn't have to be a thousand words. I mean, I published one that was 24 words. The- uh called velly the devil It was one of the first ones we published and i paid 24 cents for it
0: <laughs> i like to imagine that you just like with like 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 2 faces or something exaggeratedly like flipped a quarter that just like flew through the sky landing in the pocket of the <laughs> author
1: yes and then i took one penny back from her
0: yeah and then you were like okay come on come on <laughs> 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 I'm not making
1: money. Over yeah, here. So that, that's every Friday, and we're, and we're submissions are always open for that too. So if you're a writer and you're listening to this, you know, check it out because I'm always reading flash fiction. You know, if I like it, I'll buy it. It'll go up in a couple of weeks, kind of thing, which has been also super, super fun. I mean, just reading all these little stories, it's it's I love it.
0: Yeah, awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for giving me your time to talk about this today. It's been uh, the bomb of Gilead to have a nice chat uh, at the end of what It's been a long day <laughs> about stuff that I find yes. very interesting. So thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Oliver.
0: Yeah, no worries. All right, people, go check it out. You got the marching orders, links are all on the thing. And oh, and at WinGraph on uh, Twitter, right?
1: Yes, yeah. So we are on Twitter, Weingraf and Twitter. Um... And that's it. No, nope, no Facebook, no Instagram, nothing like that. I got to save my sanity somehow.
0: Yeah, no, that's fair, especially because of Facebook's whole like pay to let your you know more than one tenth of your followers see your thing. Oh, it's
1: horrible. Garbage. Yeah, it's awful. I, uh, yeah, I tried to have a an author page for myself on there, and it's just useless.
0: Yeah, my author page on there, um, Bracken Books,
1: <laughs>
0: is not. I I'll, I'll be honest. Apologies to anyone listening who follows it, but you're not going to get the best of me from that. I just have an automated thing for the podcast to go on there because. I actually experimented a little bit with the, the pay for promo thing in the summer and I won't get into the numbers right now because we're wrapping up, but it sucks. listener. It yeah. Sucks. Oh it,
1: yeah. I, I tried paying for Amazon advertising for my self published novel and it was just a money hole.
0: Yeah. It's, it's no good, but that's another yeah. subject. What is good is wind Go check it out. Links in the you know description of the podcast. Yeah. graph.com <laughs> cozy
1: fantasy.com.
0: Yes. Cozy fantasy.com. The, the easier one Woo. to type perhaps. Yeah. All right. Thanks man. Bye. Thanks Oliver. So I'm Writing a Novel features original music by Gloria Guns and is hosted by yours truly, Oliver Brackenbury. If you'd like to submit a question, then please email it to soimwritinganovel at gmail.com. Bonus points if you record yourself and send me an mp3 I can cut into the show. Doesn't have to be fancy. Using your phone is fine. Just keep it clear and concise. You can also holler at the show on Twitter. Look for at so underscore writing. That's at so writing. Please consider sharing the show with anybody who might like it, leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, and checking out Patreon.com slash So I'm Writing a Novel. Patrons get to be thanked in the final novel, listen to episodes of the podcast a week early, and even enjoy a bonus podcast called So I Wrote a Novel, where I read and comment on chapters of previous works, starting with my first novel, Junkyard Leopard. Thanks for hanging out with me, and Nathaniel, and I'll see you soon.